Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to What Women Must Know. Thank you for joining me. This is a show dedicated to empowering you with what I believe to be truthful information so you can make the most informed decisions possible regarding your health and well-being. And I truly believe there's nothing more important than to have an open mind, to be curious, to um, explore all possibilities, because I personally know that there are so many ways that we can find the solutions to the challenges we have in our life, whether it's with our health, whether relationship, whether our own self-esteem, whatever it is that we may be struggling with and challenged with, and we all have them in this lifetime, but what we're really looking for are the solutions, and generally they're um, solutions that you haven't actually entertained before. So I have a favorite saying that I um, yes, I kind of live by, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten. And that's really what this show's about. It's about opening up your mind to new possibilities and uh, living outside the box we've created for ourselves. So um, it's such a pleasure to have all of you listening once again. And I do want to say that all my shows are archived. You can go to my Facebook page and find all the shows there. You can go to any podcast portal. You can go to Podbean. You can go to Spotify. You can go to Apple. It's The shows are all available there. So I hope you'll be listening on a regular basis because the conversations are truly life-changing and transformative on this uh, podcast. So having said all that, I'm really um, very excited and very thrilled to um, introduce my guest today. We're going to be talking about defeating seasonal affective disorder, also known as SAD, with my guest, Dr. Norman Rosenthal, who's um, incredible an incredible doctor, incredible researcher. Dr. Norman Rosenthal is a world-renowned psychiatrist, public speaker, and best-selling author who is known for his innovative research and inspirational writings. He is currently clinical professor of psychiatry at Georgetown University School of Medicine and is listed as one of the best doctors in America. Dr. Rosenthal has practiced psychiatry for over three decades treating people with all manner of psychiatric and emotional health issues. He is also a motivational speaker and a personal and professional coach working with people from all walks of life, including CEOs, top athletes, and performing artists. He described and named seasonal affective disorder, also known as SAD, and to develop light therapy as a treatment for his novel condition. SAD and its milder variant, the winter blues, are now known to affect millions of people worldwide, many of whom have benefited from the light therapy that Dr. Rosenthal pioneered. He has a new book out now entitled Defeating SAD, Providing New Information on Overcoming the Disorder. So it's my great pleasure to welcome Dr. Norman Rosenthal to the show today. Uh, Norman, it's so great having you here, and thanks for your time and sharing your wisdom. Oh, thank you. Good to be here. You know, I, I find you um, a, such an interesting person. You're so prolific in so many different areas. We've interviewed you in the past when uh, we were um, having you on my love code and talking about your Poetry Rx book. <laughs> You've written so many books. Um, I'd like to start our conversation with um, um, 
an ex an understanding of you norman you're you know you've explored so many areas i know you're very involved with meditation you're so um diverse in what you do and in your research and in your interests so what tell us about you you know what what was your journey in life that opened you to this creative energy within you well thank you thank you cheryl for saying that and um really making me reflect even though you'd think i've done plenty of reflecting but you ask the question in a way that really makes me think back and I think back to perhaps when I was 16, I was actually was much younger than that. I would ask my, my mother as a little child, I would ask her many, many questions. And she would get irritated with me and say, stop asking questions. Um, it's enough. I, and I said, well, but that's an interesting thing. Tell me more about this and what about that? And she said, look, I'm tired, you know. Um, so I tired her out with my questions. And then um, when I was 16, I realized that I was interested in the sciences and I was interested in the arts. And that the one place they seemed to intersect was in the mind and in the brain. And I had this yearning to be a psychiatric researcher. And... At the same time, I also loved writing. So I was lucky. I was able to do my medical degree in South Africa, come to New York City and do my psychiatric residency, and then come to the National Institute of Mental Health and uh, do a research fellowship there. And that's where I stumbled on seasonal affective disorder, which is what we call it now. But then there was no name for it. Um, it was just there, and nobody even thought to call it an illness or a condition. It was just how people felt in the winter or around Christmas and just suck it up and you just accept it. And I, you know, didn't want to accept it, and I wanted to explore it. And with my colleagues at the National Institute, um, put the pieces of that puzzle together, and that led to seasonal affective disorder, and did a lot of research. I researched it for 20 years there. I then went on to research in my own clinical research organization. But all the while, this craving to write uh, stuck with me, and I remembered my dad saying, you know, from writing you can't earn any money, which actually is more or less true. And he said, you can't earn any money. First, you become a doctor, and then you become a researcher, and then you can write. So I figured, you know, I did those things, and now I'm going to just try to do what I've longed to do all my life, and that's to write. And that's where I started. I wrote about seasonal affective disorder. I wrote about transcendental meditation, which has been transformative to me. Uh, I wrote about poetry, which has been very meaningful to me, and uh, now I'm writing again about four decades of work with SAD. So what the unifying theme is, is that I look into myself, see things that fascinate me, and see how I can help other people with those insights 
both in my clinical work, my research work, and my writing. And you do that so well. You truly are um, a healer. You know, it's not just a, a doctor or psychiatrist. I think you, uh, you know, bring so many facets of, of, of a person's being and a soul together that that qualifies you as a healer in my book and my definition. Um, I, I, I do want to ask you, when I read your book, in, in your early days when you came to the United States, you got involved with some researchers who were looking into circadian rhythms or circadian psychiatry. I find that really fascinating because the understanding of circadian rhythms is such a huge area of interest right now and research. But you were involved many years ago, and I would say in the early days of looking at the relationship of our circadian rhythms, how how we are connected to the rhythms of of light and nature um, on a daily basis, and how it impacts our our overall health. Actually, so we can talk about that early time when you got involved with that circadian, the interest in circadian rhythms, and especially in psychiatry, I find that fascinating. Yes, when I came to the NIMH, I joined a group where they were looking into circadian rhythms, and uh, my chief colleague and friend there was Dr. Thomas Weir, who has done some brilliant original research in the area, and Circadian rhythms in humans and animals are very much affected by light, but it had not been recognized that circadian rhythms were important in humans as well as a result of the light. That connection, light, circadian rhythms in humans, was not recognized until the late 1970s when... um, Dr. Alfred Louis in our group showed that bright light could suppress the hormone melatonin. Now, people listening might think, well, how are these things related? Light, rhythms, melatonin, but they are very closely related because melatonin is secreted at night by the pineal gland. And by suppressing it, the short days of summer have a different effect on many, many animals from the long day, the short days of winter, I should say. It would be very different mm-hmm. from the long days of summer. And um, so that's how the seasonal patterns uh, of behavior often get um, influenced by light acting on the pineal, causing the melatonin to be suppressed, and therefore creating a signal that the creature, be it man or be it bear or be it cattle or whatever, all the way down to amoebae, that signal of light on melatonin has been conserved over millennia to regulate circadian rhythms. And so now we saw pieces of a big jigsaw puzzle coming together, light, melatonin, seasons, depression, and all of us were involved in putting together different parts of what's turned into an intriguing, huge, fascinating mosaic 
of topics. Well, you know, um, I remember the initial book you wrote called Winter Blues. I, I think that must have done really well because that was quite a while ago, but it was a very uh, profound conversation, profound book. And I remember that title, Winter Blues, but you've continued your research and now writing this book about SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder. So let's define what it is and um, maybe people will recognize that they have this tendency um, through our conversation that maybe not wasn't recognized before. Yeah, Winter Blues or Seasonal Affective Disorder are two ends of a spectrum. Seasonal Affective Disorder, also known as SAD, is a condition that can really be debilitating to people in the autumn and winter as the days get short and dark. And they can have a whole sequence and series of different symptoms that can be quite disabling. Winter blues is a milder version. They may get that if they go further south or if they don't have a severe winter or if they don't have the genetic problem to the same degree. But in its severe form, SAD or seasonal affective disorder, people can be depressed, they can be slowed down physically and mentally, they can overeat and oversleep, gain weight, withdraw from friends and family, and have difficulty at work. So there are many, many problems that can arise when the days get short and dark. And then at the other end of the winter, as they come out of the winter, they can feel better again. So those are people with seasonal affective disorder or SAD. Now, if you have the winter blues, you don't have it to that degree. You just you feel a little down, you're less capable, your work is less accomplished, your interpersonal relationships are more strained. People might want to hang back when Christmas or Thanksgiving come along. They may not be wanting to be the life and soul of the party. It's a less severe thing, but it's the same deal on a spectrum. And uh, that is what we found uh, could respond to light. But I'm running ahead of the story here. <laughs> well, let's talk about what have you found that contributes to this response to the lack of light? Do you, do you think it is a ge genetic predisposition? Is it because we are living indoors now uh, under artificial light people don't get the natural light don't experience the sunrise the early morning light which is so important in the frequencies of that, that time that sets our 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 um, circadian rhythm in motion what what are some of your thoughts that contribute to this condition which you said affects millions of people around the world Yes, and even in this country, millions of people are affected by SAD. Um, really, three elements come into play here. The one is a biological predisposition. The second is the lack of light. And the third is stress. So the biological predisposition, in part, is related to gender. Women suffer from SAD three or four times more commonly than men. 
and it seems to happen in the reproductive years, after puberty and before the menopause. But men can get it. Uh, one in three or one in four men do get the problem. Uh, and then the biology can also manifest in the form of uh, some kind of genetic predisposition. It runs in families. And uh, then, of course, it happens uh, when you have not a lot of light around, so it could happen in the winter. The north is worse than the south, and also if you live in a basement apartment, you're going to be more liable to get it than if you live in a penthouse. And uh, then finally, the stress levels, uh, you know, contribute. So between these three factors, you get the triple trifecta and you will get sad. Well, we have a lot of things going against us in our modern lifestyle, don't we? People, you know, tend to be inside and um, tend to be under a lot of stress and can set us up for these Absolutely. I mean, I think, think it has... You, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm just no, going I'm just to say gonna you, ask you put it very well. You really nailed it. Mm. So, um, so having defined it and looking at some of the symptoms, which might be really helpful for people as we're going into winter now and uh, the dark time of the year, um, first of all, it's recognizing if you have that tendency, you know, if you're noticing that you're a little more depressed or less enthusiastic with life or tend to sleep more or putting on weight, it's recognizing these the syndrome, so to speak, which I think many people might miss and might want to treat in other ways, right? So this is important to bring to people's attention. Yes, I think my message in my book is very positive, and I call it defeating sad because the winter blues made it sound like there was this melody, but it didn't really nail down the mm -hmm. urgency of defeating it. And I start the book off, if I may just quote Albert Camus, who I quote right at the beginning. And Camus said, in the midst of winter, I found there was within me an invincible summer, and that makes me happy. For it says that no matter how hard the world pushes against me, Within me, there's something stronger, something better, pushing right back. That's my philosophy in the book, and it's actually my philosophy in life as well. So I just have one question. Do you think if people had more exposure to light during the summer, spring and summer, so they got out more in daylight or they would watch the sunrise, which is a really profound time in, in establishing healthy circadian rhythms. Do you think that would um, minimize the sad effects during winter for some people? You know, actually, there's no evidence that it would do that. You know, it would be so nice if we could mm. just store up the light in the summer and then kind of parcel it out in the winter. But it doesn't seem to work that way. The light works on a day-by-day -day basis on the circadian system. So I think going out in the early morning and enjoying the sunrise and all those things are wonderful in their own right, but I wouldn't plan on them sparing you the problems in the winter um, mm. by the sort of 
storing it up, like like you know how you store, you bottle peaches or you bottle jam in the summer that you use in the mm-hmm. winter. doesn't kind of work that way. Mm. Well, that's interesting. So let's talk about some of the solutions to help people who may be identifying as having SAD. That can help shift their, you know, shift their moods, shift their energies. Great. Absolutely. Let's talk about light therapy. In practice, the way that's administered, I mean, you can, you can get light organically. You can trim the hedges around the windows. You can clean off this layer of grime that settles on the windows over the summer. Um, you can uh, have a skylight put in, and all these can be very, very helpful. You can take one room and make it bright so that you can take refuge there in the dark days of winter. But practically the most simple way to do this is to get a light fixture and or a light box. And there are many elements to choosing a good box one of them is that it should have a certain surface area. And I actually list the boxes in my book. I sort of list which ones I think are good and under what circumstances. And it can get a little technical, probably not great for this particular conversation, but simply to say that they are available, they're available online, there are return policies if they don't work, but just Observe the things that have been shown to work. They've got a certain size to them. They are put out by reputable companies that will stand by their products. And they're not the teeny-weeny ones that are very cheap. But they can be smaller, they can be portable, and they can be larger. They can sit on your desktop or tabletop. And there's quite a sort of skill in terms of choosing the lights and using the lights because mornings are better than afternoons and various other tips that may not be so interesting here but are very critical in getting the best effects. So that would be the first kind of treatment would be light therapy. And you would want to use that light therapy therapy for the for the best outcome at certain times of the day, like you were saying, in the morning is more effective. Definitely later the, in the morning day. and there, here comes your circadian rhythms again. The morning is the best time uh, for the bright light, uh, although it could be used at other times in the day. Now um I would just go on for a moment to um psychotherapy because cognitive behavior therapy has been shown to be quite helpful for SAD. Uh, For example, planning positive things for yourself in the winter, lunch dates with friends, hikes, times outdoors in nature. Um, If you make a point of that and programmatically include that in your plans and in your days, that can be really helpful. And another thing that can be helpful is also your thinking. Modifying your thinking uh, is is the cognitive part of cognitive therapy, and um, it it really is useful to understand what's going on with you biologically, 
because that way you can do the things you need to do to counteract the effects. The other thing is that an acronym often used by practitioners of CBT is ABC, in which A stands for the antecedent event, any relative event that sets off a depressive spiral. B stands for belief, which means what do you think about A. And C stands for consequence, your emotional response to A or B. So let's give you an example. Let's say I'm asking someone out on a date. And that person says, thanks, but I'm unavailable. That's the antecedent event. Now, the belief can be very variable. A healthy response might be, well, that person is busy, or that person is already in a relationship, or, you know, maybe that person isn't feeling very well. Maybe I'll I'll call back another time. But what a depressed person can often do is to think, well, maybe that person just doesn't like me. Maybe I'm just not good enough for that person or, come to think of it, any other person. And so that C is the consequence. When you start becoming depressed and you ruminate and you generalize uh, from one rejection to just not being acceptable across the board. So work done on those inappropriate thoughts and behavioral inhibitions, staying at home, not going out, not joining uh, other people and having a good time. That whole set of practices called cognitive behavior therapy can be very, very helpful in treating SAD and in preventing it. Right. You know, I think that um, having this conversation is so important because for people to begin to recognize that winter is associated with these symptoms of depression is um, is, is critical in being able to find a solution rather than feeling you, you know, I need to be medicated or you just, you know, continue carrying those depressed thoughts and feelings about oneself because if you um, recognize that you may be uh, dealing with SAD, and I believe in your book you have a um, questionnaire to give people more specific guidance, then the solution is really quite simple. Get more light. Bring more light. That can have the most profound effect on your mood and your energy levels. Well, I, I agree with almost everything you said except that the solution is simple. And I'll tell you why. And I learned this through writing this new book. And that is that when you look at the light therapy studies, and we talk about, when we talk about treating depression, we distinguish between response, which means they're better after you treat them than they were before. Not 100% better, but better enough. And the second thing is remission, and that's when they get totally better. Now, in those studies, only about one in three people
people treated with light therapy in research studies actually remit. If you want to really get people to remit as opposed to just respond, you have to add some of these other things that I'm mentioning to you. Exercise, foundational mm -hmm. habits, which I've got two chapters on in the book. Exercise, foundational uh, habits, um, appetite, eating control, uh, socializing, cognitive changes. So when you add those to the very potent effects of light therapy, then it becomes simple. Does that make sense? Well, it does make sense because you're supporting this 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 dynamic that's going on with the strategies mm -hmm, that actually mm -hmm. are allowing us to move mm -hmm. into greater balance and mm -hmm. and harmony in in our life. Um, you know, in the book, you had an interesting um, bit of information regarding how to get up in the morning and the the the. the the lights, the, like your alarm clocks that have to do with the light, I found that really fascinating. Can you share a little bit about that strategy? Yes, yes, yes. I'm so glad because it's so important. Um, the dawn turns out to be very important, and there are um, devices that create an artificial dawn. Um, they're called dawn simulators or wake-up lights. They help people wake up, and they give you a dose of light right at the most sensitive time when your eyes are most sensitive and can benefit the most. So those are dawn simulators, and uh, I include various kinds of dawn simulators in my book, and you can order them off the web. And there again, I, I recommend them not as a substitute for light therapy, but as a supplement. So in my own mm -hmm bedroom, I have a dawn simulator coming on, and then I'll turn on uh, light uh, gradually, and then I will turn on some big lights that I've got there, and it's like a carnival and a festival every morning. Instead of waking up to this <laughs> grim reality, I'm waking up to the joy of life. How much more happy could one be, you know? Well, I think that's a good strategy for living in Washington, D.C. <laughs> I don't know where you live, but certainly over here it is an excellent strategy. <laughs> well, actually, I I live where I get um, natural light all year round. I, li I live um, on the aptly named the Sunshine Coast of Australia. <laughs> That's what we oh, get Oh, my goodness sunshine. me. My goodness me. And I, I am going green with envy over here. But anyway, <laughs> um, I'm happy that you, that you have that lovely all-year-round sunshine. That's wonderful. I wish I could transport it over to you. <laughs> I wish we could bottle it like those peaches, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I actually get up every morning with the sunrise, uh, and uh, right now sunrise is about 5 a.m., but dawn is about, you know, 4, and I'm up. You know, it's so interesting because I have, you know, large windows looking out onto the balcony facing east, so I get that dawn, 
And I uh, wake up to the birds and to that whole dawn experience um, every day. And uh, I just feel it's such a blessing to be able to, you know, have that light, be exposed to that light. And, uh, you know, I make sure I get up. And, and, and I'm, I'm awake. I'm awake at 4 a.m. in the morning now. And, and <laughs> the sun still is going to be, sunrise is going to get earlier, <laughs> right? But, well, that's um, just but wonderful. Yeah, and I, that's just wonderful. Yeah. You know, I I don't know. It sounds like you may well do yoga as well. I certainly do yoga regularly, and there's one um, asana or or um, exercise in in yoga called uh, Surya Namaskar, which means I greet the sun, mm-hmm. and that's what I do every morning. And I I imagine that that's what you're doing in in one way or another. You yeah. go outside and you greet the sun. And um, unfortunately, yeah. I have to greet the sun in my bedroom <laughs> at this time <laughs> of the year. But but um, it's, the principle is the same. And um, it's just lovely to share the different ways in which we which we all welcome in the morning and the new day. It's a, such a joy. It's a joy. And, and you know, your work helps people to understand the importance of circadian rhythms. I, I think most people up until recently really didn't think much about circadian rhythms for themselves, for their health, for their own well-being. And your work is really bringing that into more people's awareness and how important we are because we are part of nature and we're part of the connection we have with light, which we know has huge impact on setting things in motion through our brain by expo- exposure to light. So having said all that, um, what what's your recommendation for people now, Norman? Okay, so we're, you know, we're well into autumn, heading into the darker months. What would you suggest to people to help them thrive during the winter months? Well, you know, the first thing to say is not everybody dislikes the winter or has trouble with the winter. So I wouldn't address uh, global advice to everybody, but I would say if you're one of those people who have difficulties in the winter, and in the book I do have a questionnaire. I also have a questionnaire on my website, which is normanrosenthal.com, that asks how seasonal are you? And if you find yourself uh, seasonal to a significant degree or you just are aware of it, then I would suggest that you implement uh, some of the recommendations that you, uh, there are many ways to get more light, both both technically with a light box or just by modifying your home. There's the light that comes from, um, you know, God's own light box, which means the sky. Um and then there's um, beyond light. There are behavioral changes that you can make. Um, may, maybe you can get away for a couple of vacations in the middle of the winter. Maybe you can even go to the Sunshine Coast of Australia, although I think that's probably <laughs> difficult for a lot of us to do. But in other words, be creative. That would be my, my simple thing. Don't just accept it. Be creative and defeat it. Find that invincible summer within yourself 
that can be accomplished yes. by all these different tricks and strategies and use them and make winter a joyful time by overcoming your circadian rhythms, your seasonal rhythms, and using that wonderful organ called the brain that we have all been given that can make so many changes in the way we live our lives. And Norman, you know, you you created the the, the phrase seasonal affective disorder from your research, um, which you've worked on for many years. Um, How widespread is the awareness that people do have issues with light in winter now? You know, you started you started out of your research, you kind of brought this into people's awareness, and here you are many years, decades later, um, bringing this, this, this profound understanding and connection to light. I think it's, you know, such a huge accomplishment to um, support other people who are dealing with this, and, are, and, in, and, in, your, and in your profession as well. Well, thank you. You know, I think that knowledge and realization dawns on us bit by bit. Um, Bit by bit comes wisdom, as the ancient playwright said. Um, And so we learn more all the time. I think now there's so many things you can do. Uh, How many people are aware of it? Well, um, you know... uh, My goal is to have everybody be aware of it, but in the meanwhile, if you aren't, um, there is a new book that can help you in that journey. Do you feel that um, your profession is understanding this? If someone goes in and sees a therapist or a psychiatrist in the winter, Will this be recognized by many psychiatrists or maybe most? I think people will recognize it, but I doubt whether they will know all the ins and outs of how to treat it. What, what, at least in America, what drives a lot of medical knowledge is the pharmaceutical companies because they have a ton of money and they can put a lot of ads in the works and get people, get doctors and other practitioners to become aware of the value of their drugs. And believe me, I mean, I I am no scoffer at at medications. I think they're miraculous. And um, certainly I, I actually ran medical trials. So, but the thing is that that money that comes from medications can be plowed into substantial advertising and conferences in beautiful places that are funded by the companies. And that's great, but the light companies are not very wealthy. Light is not is very cheap compared with medications. You can't put it in a pill, and you can't jack up the price. And so... I think that the general ignorance about this comes about because it's not part of the medical industrial complex, which is uh, such a driving force in many other situations. 
Yes, there are some challenges there. And I think this conversation is so important because for any, not just for people listening, but if, you know, people are therapists of some sort, to be able to recognize that um, this may be an issue when they see their clients, especially during the winter months, rather than just assume it's, you know, generic form of depression of some sort. But to to really recognize and have this distinction that this could be something that is generated by lack of light, and find a solution. And uh, you know, and I'd like you to go through the strategies that we discussed a little while ago for people if they are recognizing they that they have this sad tendency. Let's look at the strategies that um, you recommend to support people in moving forward and returning to the sense of well-being during those winter months. Okay, great. Let's let's summarize. The first one was summarized by the last words of the famous German poet Goethe, who said, "Mehr Licht," which meant more light. Get more light, um, and you can get it naturalistically outside, you can get it by um, bringing more light into your home, or you can get it by professionally made light therapy boxes. And I outline all the different options in, in the book, and then and I answer a lot of questions that people have. You can do it by therapy, cognitive behavior therapy for SAD, and I'll give you some pointers and clues there. Uh, it's uh, quite effective. It really means understanding what's going on and not giving the wrong reasons to it. Um, then there, there is a, a very interesting device called a negative ion generator. Um, and it can be obtained quite simply. They sometimes are sold as air cleaners or air purifiers. And uh, those ions, which are charged electrical particles in the air, which you have normally uh, by waterfalls or on the pounding surf, wherever the water is smashed against something, it sets loose these ions, which have a positive effect. So that's another thing that you have. And then there are foundational habits. What do I mean by foundational habits? I mean getting a good night's sleep. I mean, keeping your exercise up, managing your eating and weight. And I've got two chapters on this, really. Meditating. I've got a whole lot of things on meditation. There are different kinds, all of which could help. There's mindfulness. There is transcendental meditation. There is uh, loving-kindness meditation. Lots of different kinds, whatever works best for you. Walking meditation, uh, and these can be really great because they relax you. They, take, they decrease your stress. Stress is a big problem. And then, of course, you can get away from it. You've got escapes and diversions. And then, of course, if all of that fails, you could still use medications. So I hope I've given you a sense of enormous optimism about the many, many things you can do. The one thing I think you should not do is passively succumb to the inevitability of feeling lousy in the winter. You don't have to do that. 
That was great. I think the more people understand the the strategies that can support uh, our well-being, um, the more empowered we are. And that was a great summary because I think, you know, it gives people so many choices. But the understanding, the fundamental understanding of the relationship with light and the importance of light, which is so so uh, profound in what you are writing about in Defeating Sad. And I think the more people understand the role of light and the role of our circadian rhythms, the the more um, the more we can navigate through life um, with greater awareness and mm-hmm. in a much more profound way, right? Um, you know, you're a pretty much a, I would say a lifelong meditator. Is that is that correct? Um, I, well, I I, I I missed it for several years, but I would say at this point I'm about 17 years into regular meditation. And uh, yes, absolutely. Um, I would, can, can, can we talk a little bit about about meditation and and why uh, I know you've written about it. Um, there's so much research, but the the importance of meditation for for living a life that is uh, open to to the greatest potential we have. Absolutely, you know. And as I said, the one that 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 has really worked for me and helped me is transcendental meditation. So what is what is that? That is a technique that you learn uh, and that you sit in a, a regular chair uh, once or twice a day and you think a sound or mantra and it takes you into a different state of consciousness. Uh, many of my patients and clients use it and uh, we often talk about it because it's fascinating how it can relieve your stress, can lower your blood pressure, um, actually help prevent all the complications of high blood pressure like heart attack or stroke. And these are good studies that have been done. But in a more subtle sense, it can change your consciousness. It can make make you more creative. In fact, I've done my best writing since I have been meditating. So um, I look forward to it because because it's time with yourself, time away from stress. So I totally recommend it. And at this point, there's so much so much research about the benefits of meditation, and I think that um, it's a strategy that we should all be putting into our life. And I mean. You don't have to spend um, a long period of time meditating. There are meditations that, you know, you can just do heart math meditation, which is lovely, just a few minutes. But the point is, when we can um, tune back into oneself, we can access potential that is lying there in wait for us that can um, resolve you know, questions we have can facilitate healing, can bring us greater peace, greater love. Um, it's just such a fundamental thing that humans would really benefit from. And I encourage everyone listening to find some technique out there that works for you and your lifestyle that you can incorporate on a daily basis. All I can say is here, here. I, you just put it beautifully. Um, just beautifully, and that is 
exactly my experience and my experience with a lot of my patients, clients, uh, is that it has really changed their lives. Right. And, you know, I mean, so many people say I can't meditate. What What is your answer to that statement that I find many people have as an excuse not to not to work with some sort of meditation approach? Well, I think, you know, certainly I have found that if you get a good teacher, you know, there's no reason why you should think that you can naturally meditate without a little bit of help. Like, you know, if you said, I can't ski down a slope, um, then, you know, you might need a few lessons to learn how to ski. But in the end, most everybody can do some skiing, like most everybody can do some walking or running. And, um, you know, and so meditation is a little bit like that, you know, that almost everybody can do it. And, and it's not a contest, you know, like I'm a good meditator, I'm not such a good meditator. We're not <laughs> meditating to compete. or We're not meditating to get a gold medal. We're meditating for ourselves. And that's what makes it so wonderful because we're doing something that can really make us better people. And that's the the um, value of meditation. We become happier, better, healthier people. And uh, so it's like, what's not to like about it? <laughs> exactly. You know, it's it's um, when when we understand the value and how it has such profound effects to improve the quality of our life. It's like, how can you not do it, right? It's just, a key, it's a key to creating a life that is more fulfilling and uh, filled with well-being. So, uh, you know, in the minutes that we have left, uh, Norman, can, can you share perhaps um, a story with one of your patients, an experience that you've had helping patients with that, putting some of these strategies in place? Do you have a an antidote you can share with us, an anecdotal story. Well, you know, the last patient I saw today um, had a long story of depression, especially in the winter. He now uses his light box regularly. He exercises and keeps fit. He struggles with many things in his life and has fought valiantly and then I put him on to transcendental meditation and he does it every single day he wouldn't miss it he's a father of four married man father of four successful professional and um, he's probably no no older than age 50 so he's He's really, but he's had a very difficult life and is now living a very wonderful life because he's, you know, faced his demons down um, and um, he had the severe uh, substance abuse problems as well, but he's done brilliantly. And we talk regularly, and I just talked to him today and he started talking about his meditation with me. And he started talking about how 
the mind moves from here to there and you go to a place where you're feeling very lovely and you stay there and you maybe you move somewhere else and you think, is this what I should be doing? And then you think, well, I, this is what I am doing, so just go with it. And he goes with the flow and the thoughts come and go and they scintillate and change and images pass through his mind. And he went on like this for like five minutes telling me and it was almost like he was reporting on what was going through his mind as he imagined one of his meditations. And I didn't interrupt. I didn't try to interpret it. I just realized he was giving me a running commentary on the consciousness changes that he has when he goes into his meditation and what healthy and salubrious effects that has on his well-being, his view of the world, his competency, his sobriety, everything becomes better when he meditates. And it's exactly what I found in myself, in many of my patients. If even one person who hears this uh, thinks about it, uh, to do meditation and learn it, then way, we've, 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 we've been victorious. <laughs> Somebody has benefited. Mm -hmm. But if you would like to read more about my experiences and my opinions, I have two books. The first one was called Transcendence. It was a New York Times bestseller. The second one is called Supermind, about how your mind can grow and flourish. And it talks about many uh, very accomplished people that I interviewed who owe their accomplishments in large measure to their meditation. So those are a couple of books that you can check out along with Defeating Sad, which was the subject of today's book. Poetry Rx tells you about poetry and how that can change your life. And if you want to hear about my adventures and misadventures, I've got a, a memoir called The Gift of Adversity. When things go wrong, sometimes you learn the most. So that's me in a nutshell. Yes, you're such a renaissance man. But I have to say, that experience with your um, patient today must have been so gratifying for you as a therapist to see this man transformed before your eyes, working it, with it the tools so and resources thrilling. It was one of the most thrilling experiences is to see people get transformed and to share that experience with them um, is is a great joy. So I feel like a very lucky person to have been able to be part of that process. And that's why you're such a beautiful healer, Norman. You, you really come from the heart and serving others to uh, connect with their heart and spiritual self. And I'm sure that's why you create profound transformations in your presence with your patients. And uh, well, thank you so much for having <laughs> me on your wonderful show and for your kind comments. And and really, I am so grateful because I know the wonderful work you do and appreciate being able to be part of that. Yes, it's been really special to have this conversation with you. And uh, um, everyone, pick up a copy of Defeating Sad if you want to know more about all of the books that Dr. Norman Rosenthal has written. Go to his website, normanrosenthal.com. Lots of great information there. 
And all of Norman's books are filled with such wisdom. So um, all the best to you, Norman, and thank you for your time and your wisdom on the show today. Oh, thank you. Have a lovely day. I will. And lots of light to you, Norman. (laughs) May the light be with you. (laughs) And to everyone, may the light be with you as well. And uh, until next time, um, I just uh, thank you for being here. And remember to always honor the wisdom of your feminine self. Bye for now.